Welcome to the Worship Place podcast. We are thankful we can worship with you and pray this message blesses your day. We look forward to seeing you in person next service. I'd like my wife to come and say hello. God, to bless you today. Why don't we give our guests a round of applause? We're thrilled to have you here. God is in this place and he's doing great things. Lord is my light. Yes. The Lord is my life. Sing it with me. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my life. Every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my life. It's when you walk in here on a Sunday morning and you're ready to go. Because on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the Lord was your life. The Lord was your light. Then you have no reason to fear. If he's not your light and your life, there is reason to fear. As we know, fear is something that we that approaches us daily. Um, and because of that, the Lord tells us not to fear. But that's easier said than done. The way that you can walk in through fear is when the Lord is your light. Because fear is always present. You're fixing to have to speak um, at your annual meeting. You're fixing to have to give a um, you know, public speech at school. You're fixing to have to um, take your kid and find out if they can be accepted in the school that you've been hoping and waiting and saving for. All these things are fearful things, and there's like lists up to the sky of things that become fearful. Why do they become fearful to us? Because they're important to us. So there's only one way you can actually have courage is first, you must be approached by fear. Without fear, there is no courage. Because courage is feeling fearful and saying, I'm going. If you don't feel fear, you don't even have an opportunity to have courage and to be courageous. So while the Lord says do not fear, and we know do not fear, we're also fighting it. Different means in different ways. Some people fight fear by staying home and doing zilch, nada, nothing. Other people approach fear by saying, move out of the way, because I'm still coming. And there's only one kind of person that actually will get anything done in this life. It's the person that puts themselves out in front of others. You have to step out of the generalized norm in order to even 
um, be courageous. So the courageous person is the one that steps out into the place. Let's just call this embarrassment, the zone of embarrassment. That's where you go. And you know you're standing there alone. No one's with you. Because whenever we go into this, we go alone. Just like your walk with God, it's alone. You say, why? Well, it's you and him in the most private moments of your entire life. So there's not going to be a crowd around you saying, choose the right thing. Choose the right thing. Do it, do it, do it. Choose. No, it's just you and him. Sometimes you'll ignore his presence. And you feel the pain of it later. Sometimes you choose to um, lean his way. And you feel a little bit of relief. But there's others of us, of us, I, I think there's many in this room that say, and I wouldn't even say 100% of the time, I would say, we try. Try our very, very best to say, not my will. Let your will be done. So this journey is not a journey where you will be a conqueror. This is a journey where you will fall and you will get up and you will move again in the right direction. So we don't plan to fall. That we don't do. We just plan the plan that we're going to do after we fall. Because even if you're saying, not my will and thy will be done, you're also in that moment that you said, ask me anything today. I'll do your will. I'll do your will. And then he says, you see um, that woman over there, go pray for her. And you're going, that's not you. Devil, get behind me. That's not you. Lord, Lord, that's not you. I don't know that woman. Oh, my God. There's nothing wrong with her. Why would I say that? Jesus, what if she gets mad like I'm in her business? So no matter how sold out you are, you will have to practice courage. And every time you let courage arise and you say, I'm going to have to face the Lord tonight again when I go to bed. And I'm either going to be sad and repenting or I'm going to say, I did what I thought you said. And it was hard. But, and she didn't even know why I was there. And I didn't really either, but I did it. And this level of trust arises, arises, and rises. And then God will give you something very important to do. Because he trusts you with important things only after you have proved yourself in small things. So if he gives you one talent and you say, yeah, I can sing, but I'm not going to sing. Because I'm afraid. I'm never going to sing in public. I only sing in the car. Then you have a talent buried in the ground. You're not getting any more. I can promise you that. So take what God has given you. Because you say, many people say, I don't know who I am. What can you already do? Offer that to the Lord. You say, I love babies. I'm good. Offer him that you will help in the nursery. You know, lots of jobs to do, very few that want to do them. But when you're saying to yourself, I give you this because I already know I'm good in this, then he says, 
you've been faithful in that. Now I'm going to give you this too. And so that's how we grow in courage. We just face the fear. It's not fun. It's terrorizing at times. Whenever I think the Lord tells me to go speak to somebody that's just like random, like I don't know why I'm doing this, like I'm horrified in my flesh. Your spirit has to be strong enough to say, not my will. And you'll be amazed when you go and do what he said. It's pretty easy. It was the first initial blockage that you had to walk through. And remember that. That's a facade of the enemy. He makes it seem absolutely impossible. But with God and you working as a team, what seems impossible, you'll leave with a big old smile on your face. And cur- I was courageous. I'm brave. That's a great feeling. It's a lot better feeling than, again, I'm sorry, you know. So walk, let courage be with you as you walk through fear. Because as you walk through fear, you're walking through life. And the Lord is with you. And he's your light in the darkness. And he's your life. Bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you enjoy that timely word? All right, let's stand together. We're going to go to, uh, well, we're going to dismiss our Sunday school classes first. God bless the Sunday school. We appreciate and love you all so much. Appreciate everybody that worked so hard yesterday. Raised, some of you raised some funds for yourselves and for the kingdom of God. That's always a good thing. feel like I got a message if the size of the water bottle is any indicator of the message today's your lucky day and whatever you do don't get with me praise God I want to turn your attention to Exodus chapter number 13 and verse number 17 now When Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said, the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Turn to a neighbor and say, you will see war. We're going to try to keep the underbelly away from you as long as we can. We can't hide the facts. The devil is a roaring lion. Sometimes he uses people. And you will. If you can be afraid, if you can be scared, you will be. So God, so the people said, it's kind of like the people, every time someone needs to be rescued, the helicopter, the first helicopter never sees them, you know. And they say, there it is, over there, Lord, over there. And the Lord says, no, we're going to go this way. Because there's no shortcuts to a breakthrough.
Let's pray. Precious God, in the mighty name of Jesus, we ask you, Lord, for the power of your spirit to minister in this place this morning. Release a mighty anointing in this house and touch somebody, oh God, with the mighty power of your spirit, Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Amen. Smile at someone, shake their hand, and you may be seated. I know this has never happened to you where you thought you had a better idea of how things ought to operate than God has. Or that you sat there and scratched your head and wondered how come everybody in the whole church can't see what you see so clearly. Well, I've been there and done that. Like Jeff Arnold said at the last conference, he said, you know when it's God speaking to you when it doesn't make sense. (laughs) You're just going to have, if you're going to be led of the spirit, you're going to have to get used to sometimes God not operating according to the logic that you think should be applied to the situation. Yeah, but they said we thought we were free. Wait a minute. You better understand what freedom is. You're not free in Jesus to do anything you want to, any time you want to, any way you want to. You're not certainly not free to sin, but you're free from sin. Praise God. You're free from the clutch of the enemy's grasp. You're free from tears and pain and sorrow that were so much a part of your past. You're free from the chains that held you bound. That's the kind of freedom we're celebrating in this place. I felt some of that freedom when the dance move started to break out. I never been to a high school dance in my life and I'm gonna tell you why. I grew up in Southern California and most of my friends were, you know, there's a lot of Hispanic people I went to school with and they all could dance good. I saw him dance in the kitchen, and I said, oh, my God, I cannot. I just can't. But I've made up for it since God filled me with the Holy Ghost in the house of God. Amen. I'll tell you what. I, I believe that we need to praise him with the dance. Hallelujah. We need to praise him with these with these instruments here. We need to praise him with our voice like a trumpet. And so there's no shortcuts to freedom. And no sooner do they get released from Pharaoh's grip, but they enter into God's restraint. So you're going to serve somebody today. You're either going to serve the enemy or you're going to serve the Lord. You say, well, I'm going to serve myself. I don't, know which one is, I don't know which one is worse, you or the devil. But if you serve yourself, you're going to end up wishing you hadn't. Because your battle didn't begin in Egypt, and it didn't end there. In Exodus chapter number 7, the Lord told Moses that he was going to do at least three things. I won't read it, but I'll just tell you what he said he would do. He said, number one, he'd bring the Israelites out of Egypt. He said he would do it by great judgments. And he said that he would do it in a way that the Egyptians shall know that I am 
the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> I don't know. Amen. This city's fixing one way or another. If this congregation and others like it will keep on, amen, pursuing the presence of the Almighty God, they're going to know it in Greensboro that there is none other but the Lord, and He is God. Hallelujah. So, just so you know, devil. Let me say it again. Just so you know, the Lord added one more thing to the list, and that is in Exodus 12 and 12, and it says this, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. So we want to understand this. The the, the uh, plagues, the ten plagues and punishments that gripped Egypt before the children of Israel were released to go were an affront to the very gods that they served. Not only was God setting the Israelites free from Egypt, but he was, he was pounding the gods that they revered and showed them that the gods that they thought were gods were no gods at all. I want to take just a minute and express to you what I mean by that. The first plague was against the Nile River itself. The Bible says that when God plagued, the first plague was that the waters of the Nile turned into blood. And so the waters of the Nile were those refreshing and life-giving Actually, the Nile River was the very lifeblood of Egypt. But God wanted to show, and they worshiped the river. And it was the river that hosted those marine spirits that became drunk on the blood of 10,000s of Israelite baby sons. And the Lord was going to show them that, that the God that you thought devoured the destiny of this people is being defeated this day because the waters that you cherish now are worthless to you. Take a drink of it now. Come on, somebody. Because when God gets through with the enemy, this thing that you thought brought you alive or made you alive or made life worth living, suddenly you'll realize it was nothing more than a death sentence. Can't drink the bloody river right now, not when the plague is upon it. You ever put something in your mouth and wonder why you did it? So my son-in-law, we're coming back from a trip yesterday, and I had one of those styrofoam coolers, and he says to me, hey, could you put this in your cooler? It's got to stay frozen. I looked at it. I thought, hmm, ice cream. Sure, put it in there. So we drove, got home, pulled it out of the little the little styrofoam chest, and it was still pretty solid, pretty firm. I thought, hadn't melted, holding up pretty good. And it wasn't an ice cream deal like you see at the grocery store. No, this was one that the custom ice creameries use, you know, just a styrofoam cup kind of thing with a top on it. Looked at through the plastic top, I thought, hmm, looks like vanilla, but it's probably something even more special than that. So I thought, before I put it in my freezer till they come and get it, I'm just going to take a little tax off of the top of it. You know, 
Some of you that are the ice cream scoopers at home and you get those specialty ice creams where all the goodies are in the middle, you know, you give yourself a text too. One for me, right out of the middle. One for you, off the edge. And when you eat your ice cream, it sounds like someone's walking in a three-foot-high mound of, of, of autumn leaves. And they're saying, how come you got all the crunchy stuff and I don't got nothing? So I thought I could scoop just one spoon off, and then I could just, you know, trial it out, smooth it out. You'll never know the difference. Matter of fact, you'd be grateful that I kept it frozen. So I did that. Nice, clean spoon. I think I'm cured from eating ranch dressing for the rest of my life. Note to self. Ranch dressing used to be good on salad. Now I'm not sure if it's good for anything. The Nile was turned to blood. Secondly, the frogs. The second plague involved, I'm not going to go through all of them, just a few, just to to, to where I'm coming from. The frogs, and, and the frogs came up out of the Nile, and the frogs were in the, uh, the, frogs were in the uh, pantry, the frogs were in the sink, the frogs were in the bed, the frogs were in the closet. They invaded everywhere and everything. Those slimy, pestuous, loud, noisy things were everywhere. And frogs are loud. And let me say this about frog spirits. You know a frog, you can't, you know, they, sometimes, one time we heard something screaming in the woods behind our house. I didn't know. It sounded like someone was skinning a cat. Ah! I didn't know if it was a bobcat. I didn't know if it was a baby deer. I don't know. Something wanted his mama or someone was hurting somebody. And it went on and on. But what do you think about it? I didn't know what it was. She didn't know what it was. But I'll say this about a frog. You never mistake a frog for anything but a frog. And it makes its noises mostly when it is mating season. We're all adults here. The kids are over there. If you can't handle it, get up and join them. The frogs make noise about sex. And here's something that Rick Schein said, who was a professor and researcher at Macquarie University of Sydney. He said frogs can adjust their sexual destiny to local circumstances. Now, this is going to sound crazy, but frogs are gender fluid. And in the last days, the Bible says spirits like frogs are going to jump out of the mouth of the Antichrist. Come on, and the false prophet. Let me say this. For those of you that are still wondering and trying to figure out who the Antichrist is, you don't need to worry about who he is. The spirit of the Antichrist is all around you. It has attacked the United States of America. And if we don't have a revival, they're going to crawl all over us. But we, in the name of Jesus, are not going to let the devil run roughshod over the next generation. But we will bind and rebuke and pray and release, amen, the power of the Holy Ghost. My God, in the name of Jesus, hallelujah. Let me just say this. Think of the whole history of mystery religion, of paganism. 
in all of its forms that you read about in the Bible, the paganism of Rome and other places. I bind that spirit messing with them lights in the name of Jesus. The whole history of paganism is about at least three things. Human disfigurement, child sacrifice, and ceremonial sex. Look around you and tell me if this isn't the spirit of the Antichrist. Human disfigurement, child sacrifice, and sacred and unholy sex and anything related to it. Let me tell you this right now. You want, you want now my prediction on how things are going to pan out? Amen. If God didn't let the gods of Egypt off the hook before he took his people out, he's not going to allow this spirit to continue and plague the church up to the rapture. Get ready for a breakthrough. You better be ready to sit next to somebody who is a man who used to be a girl and they need to find God because where else can you go to find help for your soul when society has lied to you? Come on, praise him. Come on, praise him. Woo! Okay, the third one I want to show you again is the cattle and the livestock were plagued. And it is an interesting that the very cattle that, see, the, the, uh, the Egyptians worshipped cows. I mean, they were the authors of the golden cow. And the Israelites, you can get the, the child of God out of Egypt, but sometimes you can't get Egypt out of the child of God. And so they reached into the fire and pulled out the very devil. God was helping them to escape. Then there's boils. You know what they did to cure plagues like boils or like virus, like pandemics like we've seen? They would offer children in sacrifice. Then they would take the ashes of the child. Then they would toss them into the wind. And then presumably when those ashes touched the people, they would be cured. But you know what Moses did? He reached into the furnace. And he took handfuls of ashes and he threw them into the air. And the very prescription that they believed caused their gods to heal brought boils on everybody. You know, it's a, it's a good day in our lives when the things we once loved and believed in quit working for us so that we can find the truth. Remember when what you thought you needed was another beer? Remember when you thought you needed was another toke? Now what you know you need is another move of God in your life and you thank God for the revelation. Okay, then there was darkness, the ninth one. And this, I'll stop with these. The ninth one. You see, the, of all of the gods that Egyptians worshipped, uh, Re or Ra or Atum or Aten or Horus, all of them were synonyms for the sun God. Uh, no one but the Lord knows how to turn the power off on the sun God. And he pulled the switch and let them know that the God that you think is really cool, that shines and gives you harvest, uh, I put the off switch on him and I turned him off so that you will know that there's no God but the God of Moses. Uh, 
Hallelujah. And if you're here today and you worship anything other than the God of the Bible, I pray that God turns the power off on the false God so that you can be awakened to the promise of the Holy Ghost. And so I want to tell you that sometimes the way to a breakthrough is the long way. And there's no shortcut. The reason why God took them on a path that was physically hard for them was so that it would be psychologically easier for them. Because he said, if I take you right in to the conflict that awaits you on the other side of the Jordan and you beat up against practiced warriors, well-equipped and walled cities, you're going to want to go back to the slavery you came out of and I can't let you do that. Because we ain't going back where we came from. I said, we're going forward. I can't go back. Hallelujah. Like the old song says, I can't go back. I can't go back. I'm not going back. No, no, I can't do it. I've got to go forward in Jesus' name. And so, so, you know, impatient. We'll say, God, but wow, man, it's taking forever. Like, you know, somebody said it would have been just a month to get straight over there. Maybe it would have been a matter of days. But it took him 40 years. Well, maybe God's trying to break them free from time bondage. He's going to have to break you free right now because I'm about halfway through and I'm finishing this baby up because God gave me a word. So here we go. Because to be time bound is a form of bondage. You and I, people, human beings, we operate in a space-time dimension. What does that mean? Well, let me just put it on the level everyone could understand. When you're on a trip and you got a small kids in the back seat, and they say, are we there yet? Man, we hadn't even stopped for the first tank of gas. And they're already running out of patience. See, when you live in space-time dimension, you plagued with the thought, when is it ever going to happen? And Satan loves to capitalize on our bondage to time. And he speaks up and says something like this. About the time you say, when is it ever going to happen? He says, it's never going to happen. But thank God you're not a victim of time. You are a servant of God. Because God operates in the spoken word dimension. A spoken word dimension works like this, Isaiah 46 and 10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. God lives in the dimension that says it's already done. By his stripes you were healed. Oh, come on, somebody. It's done. The price is paid. Freedom is yours. Healing is yours. Deliverance belongs to you in the name of... Someone put your hands together and magnify the Lord. But when you view God from the time-bound perspective, he seems wasteful, 
inefficient, and slow. He let Moses wait 40 years in the wilderness, in the backside of the desert, until he was an 80-year-old man. And then took some historians, say, three or four months to get the, total, the whole three million Israelites right out of Egypt. 40 years. So it takes sometimes 40 years to understand God's ways so that you can appreciate his acts. David was anointed as a teenager to be king, but he wasn't crowned until he was 30. Jesus took 30 years to get started. Then his mama had to push him. And took only three years to get it done. You see, when you live in a time dimension, God is either taking too long or he's quitting too soon. God is the most misunderstood being in the universe with respect to time. 1 Peter 3, verses 3 to 4 says this, knowing this, first, in other words, put this foremost in your mind, there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue just like they have been from the beginning of the creation. In other words, there's somebody who's been told if God was going to do it, he would have done it by now. But I want to say this for the Marthas and the Marys. Just because it's late doesn't mean it's too late. Lazarus is coming back out of the grave. Come on, somebody. And so... I want to offer to you this proposition. Are there wasted years in the Bible? Why didn't God choose Abraham when he was 25, give him kids when he was 30? Why did he wait till he was 100? Why did he leave Joseph in that Egyptian dungeon for so long? Why did the cupbearer forget the dream? And why did it take Pharaoh Two more years to dream the dream. Why did Joseph have to suffer 20 years of living a nightmare while waiting on a cupbearer and a pharaoh and other people's dreams? Let me say this. Let me say this. Here's the problem with us. We want God to speed up our blessings and postpone our punishments. You're time bound. That's what's wrong with you. You got to step out of that realm, amen, where you're just clock watching and calendar checking. And I'll tell you what, yeah, sure, it'd be nice if God sped up the blessings and postponed the punishments. But what if he sped up the blessings and they destroyed us? That's what he told the Israelites. You're not mentally prepared to go into the blessing yet because there's enemies associated with that. And you've never fought for yourself and I've got to train you. Somebody is in training today. I'm in training today. So let me say this. Oh, hallelujah. When it looks like God is doing nothing, he's doing more than you will ever know. 
While they wandered in the wilderness, it looked like God was doing nothing. But he was achieving a logistical fiat. Matter of fact, it was harder on God to keep him in the wilderness alive than it would have been to turn him loose in the promised land. Logistically, think about this. Providing for two, how many food trucks would it take to feed two million people every day? Somebody did a calculation and said this. Said, said uh, if you it took two million people and you put them 50 people abreast, 50 people wide, the, the, the line would be 40 miles deep. 50 people wide, 40 miles deep. That's how many two, two million people marching would look like. And it would require 30 boxcars of food. Boxcars. Not Lunchables. It would take 30 Lunchables to get me through a day, wouldn't you? But when we'll, when we'll go there. It would take 30 boxcar loads full of food and 300 tank cars full of water every day to keep that many people alive. And you think God ain't doing nothing and you ain't going nowhere. You better open your eyes and realize something eternity is going to reveal. How many times the enemy was pried off your soul and how many times uh, God stood between you in danger and you didn't have to pay the penalty of your own error. Oh, somebody ought to praise God even when it looks like nothing's happening. We have any scuba divers in here? Don't worry, I don't. I won't ask you to take me. Okay. Well, I understand that if you go deep scuba diving and you get so deep that you can't just bounce right up to the surface, or you get the bends. I don't understand all the physics of it all, but somehow something happens to your blood. It oxygenates or some kind of gas builds up, and it can cause paralysis, death. Uh, strokes, whatever, all kinds of things. So the remedy for getting from way down deep to up back up to the surface, you got to go slow. You got to stop at periods of time along the way. And if you, and if you come up too fast and the effects of the bend start to come on somebody, really one of the quickest and swiftest remedies is to repressurize them. Is either put them in a tank and put pressure all around them, just like they had down there, or throw them back in the water with a weight on them. You're going to go down there and wait a while until you can start feeling better. I feel like somebody's had to be repressurized. I feel like you think that God turned his back on you. He hasn't turned his back on you. He's practicing emergency medicine on you. You got, you got too much too quick, and now he's, oh, he's reining you back, and he's going to take you back and repressurize you till you can handle. Oh, my God. There is a blessing coming your way that you're not prepared to handle yet, but if you'll be patient and trust the Lord, you'll see him come through for you. Okay, I got to hurry. I'm going to hurry fast. Character building takes time. <laughs> Why so long? Because it takes time. Turn a mouse to make a man out of a mouse. <laughs> Adam was a sinless man. Think about this. He was a passive man. He was an emotionless man. 
He never expressed an emotion until he sinned. And they said, I'm afraid. And then when he, he names everybody, everything, God says, you're the namer. Ah, oh, you got the gift of naming. Oh, he named this, name that, name that. And then he calls his wife, mama. Ooh, I never called my wife mama. I'm not going to start now, I'll tell you that. He's a mother of all the living. And it is God that has to say it's not good for a man to be alone. You'd think that Adam would say, hey, God, don't, hey, Adam down here. Spring is in the air. I'm all by myself down here. Why? What is going on here? Why? Why is it? Um, let me say, Adam teaches us this one. It takes time to turn a taker into a giver. All Adam knew was take, 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 take. And you got to, God has to turn takers into givers. And whatever it's required, this isn't just about the blessing I can get from God, but what about the blessing I can be to God? Okay, I'm going to hurry. I'm going to run down the line here. Now, Noah's the ark builder. Eight souls saved by water. Eight. I'll tell you what. Just like Adam, uh, you, know, you know, was a flat character, Noah was a little bit better, but he's not much of a relationship builder, I'll tell you that. Eight souls? How you doing down there, Adam? I mean, Noah? Well, I got eight on board. Who are they? Well, my wife, my kids, their, their wives and husbands. That's it. Now, I'm not God, and I'm not going to pretend to be but if I were, I'd say something like this. People like Elon Musk will say, who wants to go on a one-way trip to Mars? Guaranteed never to, if you survive the journey, you're never coming back. And 200,000 people say, I will, I will, and you only got eight? Come on, somebody. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need to make some more friends. You need to meet some sinners. We need to have an evangelistic church. Woo! It, what am I trying to say? It takes God time to turn a survivor into a thriver. What about Abraham? I mean... You don't hear one word of negotiation out of Adam or Noah, but you hear it out of Abraham. But, 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 but God, but, but, wait, 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 wait. Let's, let's, not, let's just burn up the whole place. I know there's a lot of bad people over there, but I think we can find 50. God said, oh, no, you can't. Well, what about 40? Nope. Well, what about 30? Mm-mm. How about 10? Sorry, Abraham, but I'll do you a favor. I'll pull, your, I'll pull your nephew out of there and anyone in his kin that wants to go, I'll get some angels down there and tug them out of there. Because it takes time. You know, Abraham had seen the judgment on, or had heard of the judgment of the flood. He'd heard of the judgment of Nimrod. And now he's, God's doing another judgment. And he's saying, wait, 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 wait. Takes time to turn someone into an intercessor. And then Jacob. Jacob, he's a, he's a piece of work. 
Any of you ever seen a romantic comedy? Oh, don't lie to me like that. I know you have. Your wife made you watch them. First way you can tell they're going to fall in love is they hate each other. Oh, there it is. You see her slap him in the face? That's it. Get ready. Well, you meet Jacob, runs into God. Next thing you know, he's in a wrestling match with him. I'm not going to, I'm in a fight with God, and I'm not going to let go until you Bless me. Why? Because Jacob had been a pretender all of his life. Jacob pretended to his dying blind daddy that he was somebody who he was not in order to steal a blessing that he didn't deserve. And it takes time to turn a pretender into a prince. I want to preach to somebody. We're not playing church here. Is there anybody serious about serving the Lord with all your heart? I got to take you the long way around because I got to make something out of you. Okay. Woo, come on, worship him. I feel, whoo, hallelujah. There's some churches that would shout over stuff like that, but, you know, I don't know. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with this idea. Maybe it takes long. Why did it take God 4,000 years to become the solution to humanity's problem? Galatians 4 and 4 puts it this way. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. Some of the atheists, they challenged the idea of God. Why would God let so much human suffering, so much pain and loss, so much grief and destruction, so much moral hazard? Why would he allow it? Why didn't he come sooner? Just me here. You could take this or leave it. The word fullness, in the fullness of time, the word fullness, pleroma, it's a Greek word, and it, it gives this kind of connotation. It gives the kind of connotation of loading a ship with, with freight, with goods, with cargo, with people, with... In other words, it's, it's lo- when the fullness of time, when the ship was loaded to the max, when the ship had everything on board that it needed to have on board to make the journey, that's when... So, so, so in the book of Matthew, you get the generations of Jesus, right? You get 42 generations. You get, all, you get the, the playlist of everybody that precedes Jesus. What do you get? Abraham, the impatient one, couldn't wait to get a baby the way God said to do it. So he does it his own way and creates a problem that's in existence to this day in the Middle East. Jacob, the pretender, Judah, and Judah, the, 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 the proprietor of incest. Rahab, the prostitute. Ruth, the one with the Moabite generational curse on her. David, the adulterer and murderer. So these are all in the bloodline of Jesus now. Solomon, the idolater. Rehoboam, the rebel. Huh? All of them in the genealogy and many, many others. And what is there? Amen. Impatience, lies, adultery, murder, incest, idolatry, generational curses, prostitution, 
Why did Jesus, why did it take so long? Because the blood that never loses its power needed to build up immunities to every conceivable human failure. It wasn't until everybody did everything wrong that could be done that that blood went to that cross and took that sin. Oh my God, in the name of Jesus. I want you to stand right now and lift your hands. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the precious blood of Jesus cleanse you, cleanse you? There isn't anything you've done. There isn't anything you've said. There isn't anyone you've harmed that's beyond the reach of the blood of Jesus. It took 4,000 years for the blood, amen, to have an antidote. Whew. My God. So this altar is open for somebody to say, God, if you waited that long to help me, I'm not waiting another minute to come to you. This altar is open. There is a blood. It's the blood of Jesus. It's been specially prepared. It has bred into it every conceivable human failure and sin, yet itself was sinless. Oh, my God. Oh, this altar ought to fill up. It ought to fill up. Good people ought to come and pray. Good. Yep. People who think they haven't done anything wrong ought to come and pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There's no shortcut to a breakthrough. God doesn't want to just pull you out of your trouble. He wants to break you out of it. He wants you to be so convinced that you'll never go back. Hallelujah. There's an antibody in the blood of Jesus that can forgive anything you or anyone like you or anyone you could think of could ever do. Thank you, Jesus. All you have to do is ask, repent. Yes, sir. Oh, my God. Oh, Ramash.